Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From burnout and exhaustion to joy and fulfillment. Through the act of serving consciously, it's time to rediscover your passion. It's live with Elizabeth and guests on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and I'm thrilled that you've decided to tune in today. Before we dive into um, the show, I just want to remind you that you can visit servingconsciously.com to learn more about the Conscious Service Approach and access the resources there. And as well, let me know if you're interested in hearing about um, registration for online programs when that starts. I'm uh, starting an interest list, so please be sure to leave your name. I am so pleased to welcome my guest today. I've been following her work and service through social media for a few years now, and I just knew that someday I would have the opportunity and pleasure to have her on the show. Today we are exploring service through recreational respite, and I just want to take a minute to introduce my guest. Amy McFarlane is the founder and CEO of Recreational Respite, which provides therapeutic recreation services that identifies ways for children, youth, adults, and seniors with disabilities to experience active engagement participation, and access to programs and services in their communities. Recreational Respite offers one-on-one therapeutic recreation services based on individual needs, interests, and strengths. Amy offers workshops and training for both professional and family caregivers to enhance successful engagement. She's a chosen expert and international keynote speaker, mentor, and teacher on the topics of inclusion, accessibility, and removing barriers to active participation. Amy has been a top 100 finalist in the Royal Bank of Canada Canadian Women Entrepreneur Award from 2014 to 2018. Amy was also a founding partner and director of Family Caregivers Unite from 2010 to 2015, a social media project with an international scope to support and connect family caregivers. And during this time, she produced over 300 online radio episodes with a million listeners worldwide. A mover and a shaker, Amy sits on a number of committees focused on improving programs and services for people with various health and social challenges. She teaches at the post-secondary level and mentors other entrepreneurs as well. You can learn more about the services at recreationalrespite.com. And of course, you know, I'll provide more social media links and contact information for Amy at the end. But welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Elizabeth. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's lots to say, (laughs) and I know you have a ton to share with us today. I wondered if you could start by telling us just a little bit about your journey, that what's led you to what you're you're doing today? Holy crow. Well, in April this year, I guess more officially June 1st, um, we will celebrate our 10th year in business. And boy, oh boy, have we come a long way from where we initially started, which was in 2008, identifying a need for real meaningful respite solutions in the community 
for children, youth, adults, and older adults. Uh, and this really stemmed from my work in a community and um, setting where I loved the bedside role of building relationships with the patients that I had been working with in the hospital and identifying that there were real needs to emotionally support them when they were discharged from hospital, going back home, and how were they going to reintegrate back into their lives. Um, so was the birth of recreational respite with a strong focus on recreational therapy, which I'm happy to explain. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> so specifically, you know, traditional therapies tend to um, isolate and work towards fixing something or managing symptoms. Recreational therapy focuses on identifying ways to engage an individual who otherwise faces barriers because of the disabilities or challenges that they're experiencing. And these can be short or long-term challenges. Uh, some of our clients will have something such as mental health. Some of them might have autism. Some of them could simply be isolated right. for a number of socioeconomic factors. And, you know, the real goal and concern is to find ways to reintegrate them back into their community to restore that sense of self and worth on a number of levels. Absolutely. So the services themselves provide an opportunity to work with these individuals one to one and identify what that looks like uh, and then work towards the goals for good at positive outcomes. Right. And then hopefully, you know, that individual can reactively uh, enter back into whatever circumstances they were faced with barriers previously. Absolutely. I love that you have the focus on engagement and building relationships. I think that that's so huge because it's, it's a big uh, difference between just trying to fix something or put a Band-Aid on something. You're really talking about that human kind of connection and getting to know what people need in order to feel included and engaged. Absolutely. And I have to uh, be honest, I mean, my I'm pretty consumed in disability studies as I work towards my PhD. Um, and one of the things that I firmly believe in is how we understand geography, you know, the social environment is how we understand the people who live within it. Right. So successful communities can identify ways to create that space, those places and mm -hmm. events that they can then come together for growth, safety and opportunity. And in doing all of that, it creates this amazing inclusion, accessibility, leadership, and change. Um, that's it's one it's one of the things that I'm most passionate about in everything we do is encouraging safe environments. I love that, right? Because you can't separate the individual from the environment with which with within which they live or the other people that they're connected to, right? We do have to look at at yeah. all of those interconnections, don't we? We do. We do. And it, it's critical. I mean, in every population that we serve and every um, individual that we, not just we serve, but in our community as a whole. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits here, because I know that there's huge benefits to respite. Um, and just coming from my own personal experience, um, being involved as a family home provider many years ago for a woman who she'd lived most of her life in an institution for adults with developmental disabilities. I know how our family benefited so much from the various respite services that were available to us. Can you describe some of those benefits that you see family caregivers experience when they're given this kind of support? 
Yeah, I think, first of all, we need to look at respite in, in two different ways, but I, I'd only hope that it would only be one way, and that is to empower caregivers with the same tools that we're going in with, so yes. that when we leave at the end of the day, those that are in 24-hour caregiving roles uh, are equipped with yes. just as many tools as we have to offer in our services. So that's really important first. That's the kind of respite service that we're providing um, yeah, it's not just babysitting, right? So I've got quotes in the air. It's not just providing supervision and, and so a person can just go out and get a break. It's also providing with providing people with resources and, um, like you said, tools yes. that support yeah. them in their caregiving role. Yeah, yeah. And, and we certainly want to encourage family members to take full advantage, truly, with all my passion and heart, take full advantage of the time that you have as a as a caregiver for the break that you're, yes. that you're offered. Definitely. And we have families, some of them are very involved and some of them are very uninvolved and that's not because of lack of caring. It's simply because they're so overwhelmed with the amount of responsibility that they have, that they need to just disconnect. And that's yes. okay too. So first of all, there's no judgment being placed. The respite services should never have any kind of judgment whatsoever. Yes. Um, so the successes we've had have varied, of course. I mean, we work with a great big scope of client need. Um, and I, I would have to say that the biggest successes have been able to uh, include siblings in care for the people that we're working with. Say, for example, a young uh, child with autism, including their sister or their brother in our sessions so that there's an all-encompassing you know, there's, it's a family affair. It becomes a yeah. family affair. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that's probably been the greatest success is also working with individuals who have post-traumatic stress disorder, um, mm -hmm. in particular first responders. And again, working with them to identify ways to reintegrate them, but also with their families and giving their families tools to help engage their loved ones. Yes. So that would probably be my most, um, our most success through respite services. Again, empowering caregivers with as many tools and knowledge sharing as possible. Yes. So, and, and I like what you were saying at the beginning too, because it isn't just like a sort of a one-way street. There's benefits to the family caregivers and the family circle. And really you're talking so much about inclusivity just in what you were mentioning there. Yeah. yeah. And then there's benefits that are directly to the, for the individual's involved right. in the in the session right so what That's kinds of it. benefits to, to those people experience as well well so everything we do is so individualized so it's very hard to uh umbrella you know the outcomes right. of everything that we do but you know at the end of the day if that particular child youth adult or senior starts off being extremely excluded you know, uh, lacks the ability to advocate for themselves, possibly self-regulate coping strategies. Um, at the end of our sessions, if we're able to give them an inkling of um, self-empowerment in all, any of those areas, that's of great success. And right. I think that, you know, we have to remember that uh, traditionally respite services are exactly that. They're kind of this instantaneous moment of uh, break. Yes. We never talk too much about their long lasting efforts. And I think that um, 
what we're trying to do in every one of our sessions, shall we say sessions, I say visits, but <laughs> is, is, is work with towards these specific empowerment um, goals. And so that at the end of the day, these individuals, even like I said before, even after we leave, feel like they have a sense of worth and role. Yeah. Sense of worth, a sense of role, sense of connection. And sense of self, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think of our little guys that we work with with autism and even our adults that we work with with autism or even complex mental health. Um, after we leave their session, you know, they, they are even remotely confident, more yeah. confident than they were when we first went in. I mean, that's that's a, it's a huge success. It seems Absolutely. so small, but it's massive, you know. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting, eh? Because it's so, um, I mean, when we're talking about things like that, self-esteem, self-worth, um, confidence, feeling a sense of personal power, you know, it's really difficult to say, well, these are all of the activities we're going to do that's going to lead to that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not so concrete as as all of that. So it's really about an energy that you're bringing in to the the visits, the sessions, the relationship building that you talked about at the beginning of our discussion today that sense of engagement that ends up creating space for people to start to feel those kinds of things and to develop that yeah and and I think it also besides the energy it also comes from the approach I mean it's how we approach anything really isn't it uh, that yeah. we get positive feedback or engagement out of but we have to be equipped with some of the tools for the right approach and that's why we have the expertise that we do um, because I think that's that's critical too. You know, family members Absolutely. often will say, how come I'm not able to do that very same thing? And it's, you know, and it's because, well, you're the primary caregiver and these are the, these are the barriers that you face because right. you are the primary caregiver. So yeah. And it's a different relationship, isn't it? That's it's a it. Role. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can you give us some examples of some of those tools that you're talking about? Um, you know, I'll go back to our work with our children and our youth only because um, I find, well, I'll give you a couple of examples, not just children and youth, but I would say, you know, we've worked with children who are nonverbal, uh, mm -hmm. who have very limited communication skills or potentially lots of communication skills, but only with their primary caregivers. So anyone outside who's coming in doesn't often have the ability to successfully communicate with that same child, which creates barriers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the greatest things that we've been doing a lot more of lately is creating communication binders and visual tools for a lot of those particular children and youth and adults who are nonverbal. Oh. But we're encouraging them to take part in the creation of that. So this is a communication piece that we can use not only us in our sessions, but anyone coming into the home can then engage with that individual through these tools. So again, a Perfect. universal approach and, and That's universal, right. Universal approach is critical. Uh, I am, again, I am very consumed in disability studies, which, you know, is all about a universal approach as opposed to an additional mindset and add on, Right. Right, right. This isn't this isn't something we're just adding on. This is something that we everyone can benefit from using. Yes. I mean, even even an individual who has Alzheimer's disease, for example, could look at a picture of someone smiling and know that that means happy. Yes. Um. You know. So these kinds of universal tools 
and approaches are really important, really successful. So that's that's probably one of the biggest ones. And and what you do when you open up that communication is you allow even more people to interact with that child successfully, which is, I mean, it's amazing. Absolutely. And then that's moving towards that, um, that overall end of inclusivity and that's feeling right. connected within community and reintegration and all of those things as well. That's right. That's I love right. that. Yeah. Beautiful. And now, you know, to work with an, an individual who has a, had a brain injury, for example, mm-hmm. and finding a way, again, identifying a way that that individual can uh, contribute to society through their personal interests. We've had a client who nobody realized was quite an artist. Um, he had a severe brain injury. So we explored art with him as a therapy in our sessions. And um, the, the things that he was able to create by manipulation using particular um, materials, sculpting and, and things like that was uh, amazing. But it was his way of communicating everything he loved and everything he didn't love. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty amazing, amazing to see. But again, everything we do is so individualized based on that person that we're working with. We are in that moment when we work with them. Right. We are not looking that. outside of that moment. I love that because that's such a key element I find with my own work too in conscious service. It's about being there in the moment, about it being personalized. And I that's love it. what you just said too about maximizing the opportunities for contribution because that is one of the things that helps us to feel included and connected to the world yeah. around us, right? Yeah. Is that sense of having something to offer that's, that's of a value, you know, and that's a value meaningful to us. Yep, absolutely. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick little break and we'll come right back. And I wanted to get into some nitty gritty about recreation because I think we have a lot of preconceived notions sometimes about what that means. So we'll yeah. take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and we'll be right back with Amy McFarland. Is part of your life mission to be of service to others? Making a difference in the world is a tall order. You are the resource when it comes to serving humanity. Beyond taking care of yourself, learn to create self-connection in your life. Integrate who you are with what you do. Find a source of inspiration and energy that surpasses your wildest imagination. Register for the Self-Connection Series at www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Look under Programs and Services for details. Are you a helping professional looking for inspiration, resources, and community? 
visit socialworkhelper.com for relevant articles and learning opportunities. Connect with other difference makers in the world. Socialworkhelper.com Welcome back to Serving Consciously. I'm speaking today with Amy McFarlane, and we're talking about a lot of things. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> recreational respite, and we're talking about inclusivity and connection, building relationships, supporting caregivers, um, helping people to reintegrate after they've experienced or if they are living with you know, the effects of different disabilities and things like that. But let's talk about recreation, because I do think you know, I know for me, when I think about recreation without, like, you just at first glance, kind of, I would think about certain activities or certain things, but I'd like yeah. to hear how you define recreation so we can expand our horizons. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this one because, I love this question because our old traditional ways of rec is we think of things like, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to play bingo or cards or you're going to play with uh, my child, you know, you're going to play sports or you're going to, you know, that kind of response is, is typical. And yes. yes, in a sense, we are. But recreation in, in itself as a therapy, I, I use the tagline, fun changes behavior. And if we really uh, think about that for a second, anything we do, if we turn it into something fun, we are more likely to engage and participate in that activity. Isn't that if, the truth? Right. Totally. Yeah. And so we look at a child or even a young adult or a senior and we say, our loved one is watching TV all day. You know, he's uh, 75. He has, he's retired. He's has no, not very many friends come around anymore. He watches TV and sleeps in his armchair most of the day, every day. And we just don't know what to do for him. But this is not the way he used to live at all. Right. And, and, you know, so we talk to the family, well, what is it that you'd like to see him doing more of? Well, tell me more about your mom or dad, you know, what did he used to love to do? So then we get talking about it, talking about it. Okay. And then they say, but he really needs to get into better shape. <laughs> <laughs> and we say, oh gosh. Okay. And again, it comes back to that approach. So if we could turn something that's really fun into something, you know, it's, it's not so fun, sorry, into something that's really fun. Yes. We're all more likely to participate. And perhaps cooking is an exercise for someone who's just had a stroke, who needs to exercise their limb, their affected limb or limbs in the act of cooking because they used to love to cook. And that was their whole purpose in their family was to cook for their family. This is an exact example of a, a woman that we worked with in Etobicoke in uh, Toronto. And she specifically, the family said, we are a big Italian family. Her whole role was to cook for us. And she can no longer do that because she's had a stroke. But the doctor just wants her to exercise those limbs. So right. we said, well, okay, you know what? There's lots of hand and fine motor skills that we can exercise in cooking. 
and let's help restore that. So that in itself is recreation, right? I mean, it's everything she loves to do, but it's things that she needs to do in order to get better. And she's yes. more likely to do that than for me to say, okay, we're going to do five repetitions of this and five repetitions of this and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Right? Where's the fun in that? <laughs> exactly. And if we look at our children that we work with specifically, okay, their therapy, I mean, there's so much therapy sometimes in place for these kids. It's no wonder they, they you know, some of them lash out. They just go enough is enough. But if we can turn that therapy into something fun and do it through drama, through Lego, through art, through music, whatever, whatever it is that the child loves, they're far more yes. likely to engage in that. So the definition of recreation is more related to the elements of what you love and what is fun. And, you know, and I, I love yeah. too the fact that quite often, you know, again, we might go into something thinking, well, we're going to be working on this or we're going to be learning about that. And then really, you know, if we just go with sort of the natural unfolding of different activities, we end up learning exactly what we need to learn, but in a way that is, like you said, fun and which makes it easier. Mm-hmm. And we're more, we're more, um, you know, we buy in more easily. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, if we look at children, play is one of a young child's most powerful cognitive and social learning tools, Right. Yes. I mean, so play-based learning environments are critical. So why aren't we factoring play into all of their therapy needs, right? Absolutely. Um, why aren't we able to work towards goals through play for those children? You know, social skills can be worked on through various avenues of play. We do lots of role-playing. We do puppet shows where the child themselves has to to utilize a puppet and uh, connect with us. You know, it, it, there's so many ways that we can engage these, these particular, in particular, these children through play that can yes. evoke you know the outcomes that we're looking for absolutely play, goes, play is their job right I mean that's well, this what... <laughs> is it but that's exactly it and I think that when families often who are in such crisis sometimes forget that the child is still only seven and so there has to be an element of play and fun involved there has to be there just has to be I mean in adults too let's be honest right I mean, adults yes. need to have a sense of play, too. And all of this relates to our emotional wellness. And without our emotional wellness, everything else falls apart. We know that already. Yeah, that's so true. And yeah. isn't it funny? It says so much about kind of our, uh, you know, that sort of Western mentality that if it's fun and it's play, then it must not be, you know, if there's no pain, there's no gain. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And we're exactly. missing the boat. <laughs> yeah, and yet our challenges still, you know, exist from systemic challenges too, where funding dollars aren't meant for play, you know, they're meant for therapy. And then there's other funding dollars that are meant for play and not for therapeutic value. So it's really interesting how we work against these frameworks too. Yeah. Um, try and support <laughs> to support inter- individuals in their best interest. Um, Absolutely. So those are some point. of the barriers too. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about inclusivity as well, because I know that you're talking, um, I, I can tell by some of the things that you're saying that you're talking about going into people's homes and supporting people within the home. But I'm imagining that you also go out with people into the community and things like that. Yep. Um, yep. So when we talk about inclusivity, what do you think, what are some of the most powerful messages you would want listeners to know about what it means to be inclusive? 
Hmm. So perhaps the most important to us as an organization goes back to, you know, building a social environment that is inclusive and accessible to all of its members. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it's a big, it's a big feat. (laughs) Yeah. It, It can really relate right down to children who have moved to a new community and are struggling to transition that's exclusion. And, yes. you know, inclusion can can uh, relate to those situations as well. They do not have to rely solely on individuals with disabilities. Mm-hmm. I think inclusion also, we need to understand um, the, the term and define disability. Disability refers to anyone that faces barriers for any reason whatsoever. And that could be a child who's moved to a new neighborhood, or it could be a child who has complex mental health. And the same thing with adults. It could be an adult who suffered a loss of their loved one. So they have temporarily exclusion from their circles um, in their community. And um, so we need to understand what inclusion really means. And that is to include and environments to be safe for inclusion. Yes. And I like what you're saying, too, that when you talk about the social environment, because Way back in the day, you know, I mean, when I started out in developmental services and, and uh, initially worked in an, an institution, mm-hmm. when we talked about inclusion, we were talking about people, you know, being reintegrated back into community living and yeah. not living in a segregated facility. Yes. And, you know, we were talking about inclusion in the classroom and things like that, or we were talking about about accessible physical environments, you know? Right, bricks and mortar, sure. Yeah, exactly. But inclusion, inclusivity goes so much deeper than that when you're talking about the social environment and you're talking about um, different types of barriers that aren't just about physically navigating. We're talking about all kinds of barriers that could be related to language or could be related to, you know, emotional um, well-being or a sense of connection or, or any of those things. Yeah, yeah. The big, the biggest ones I call on are attitudinal, at, at, at right? Your your attitude, the environmental, systemic, and communication. To us, those are the very top priorities for inclusion because they're relevant mm-hmm. in every situation. Whether it's a small business that's serving individuals, um, whether it's um, you know, uh, environmental space that's, that's serving, um, its visitors, etc. So those are, yeah, those are the biggest areas of inclusion I think are, are important, most yes. important of a community. And, and I yeah. think the makeup of a community, uh, really, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. y- you can go into lots of communities and the attitudes there, Perhaps their society even is quite different. And so it makes you feel very excluded (laughs) for whatever reason, right? Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about, say, people who are living with complex mental health challenges and things like Mm -hmm. that, you know, stigma and the labeling and all of that sort of fits into those attitudes. And that can be so exclusionary, (laughs) if that's the word, you know. Yeah. So how we get around that, though, I mean, a large portion of what we do as an organization outside of our direct services is we call it community leadership. And we work with a lot of um, businesses and organizations around building capacity through education and knowledge exchange to share what inclusion and accessibility of a community actually looks like. Um, And so how we can turn our small businesses or our community programs and services to be more aware of the mm-hmm. exclusion that they're creating. 
And, and I know there's a lot of exclusion, inclusion kind of verbiage floating around, but the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, some of that part of our work is about helping them identify that every individual deserves access. Yes. Regardless of what might be going on with them socially, psychologically, yes. biologically, whatever. Um, everyone deserves to be included in some level, you know, of our community. And so what that looks yeah. like. Yeah. And then it's an opportunity for people. Because sometimes I think there's a lot of people out there who don't even necessarily recognize that some of their practices may be creating barriers for some people. Oh, 100%. Right? And I think yeah. that's exactly it. People don't know what they don't know. Uh, yeah. and, and that's the problem. I mean, I think that things like the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, the AODA here in mm -hmm. Ontario, is uh, amazing. It's the very first mandated accessibility standard in Canada, um, right. which means all businesses have to understand what it is to be an accessible business to serve a variety of individuals um yes. and i'd like to see this roll out in more provinces for sure <laughs> oh, definitely definitely it's so powerful because i mean and again it's not it is a process right i mean like you said we don't know what we don't know so if That's we aren't right. even aware that yeah. we're lacking information in a certain area then there's no impetus to to explore that or to learn more because yeah. we don't know so it is a process of just becoming aware of, hey, where are my, my own barriers or my own attitudes that might get in the way or, you know, um, yeah. what I might not be understanding about the inclusion of other people and things like that. That's um, right. And then really exploring that so that it becomes a real meaningful shift and change in our communities as opposed to, well, the government says I have to do this, so I'm just going to do it. That's yeah. right. And I, and I think that that comes back to the definition of disability. Because yeah. I think, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, we really weren't thinking about accessibility as a universal approach. Um, right. But, you know, when we look at examples, I mean, and I could go on and on for hours just about accessibility. But when we look at examples like the cut curb right, that we have, you know, everywhere on our streets, that where the right. curb is cut so that you can, you can use it as, you know, a walker can, can get up onto the sidewalk. But the mm -hmm. thing is, is it's not just for people with walkers. If we really think about it, it's for people who have baby strollers. It's for people who are on yeah. bikes. It's for people who are in wheelchairs. It's for everyday people walking, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to think that approach, that universal model about everything we do. And it's very important because... Yeah, it's, you know, lots of businesses say this is going to cost me a fortune. It's going to cost you more if you're not prepared because yes. we do have an evolving population. I mean, let's just look at the seniors, the number mm -hmm. of seniors who are um, going to outnumber every other, yeah. <laughs> every other age group in yeah. the next 10 years, not even. Um, so what are we doing to make sure that we have a universal approach to accessibility. Absolutely. Yeah. That we will appreciate ourselves when we arrive in that same. hundred uh, percent. But, but <laughs> even, even before that, we all yeah. benefit from a cut curve, right? We yeah. don't have to be um, disabled to benefit from that. So, or the automatic door openers. How many times have your hands been full and you think, God, thank 
goodness for this yes. automatic door opener, right? Absolutely. That's a and those are great thought. examples, though, because I think so many people can relate to that, right? Yeah. And, you know, for some of us who, you know, who maybe don't need to use it, it just yeah. to hear that, it's like, oh, yeah, I really do appreciate that, those things that we might take for granted, right. you know. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's important. That universal mindset is, is again, what I can't stress enough. That's the most important part, I think. Yes, because, and I think, again, it, that really is aligned with the idea of inclusivity. If it's universal, if we're yeah. interconnected, if we're inclusive, like it's all moving us in the same direction, right? That's right. I think people become overwhelmed. I mean, with inclusion, I think that, you know, there are extenuating circumstances that inclusion is just so talked about that people just go, oh my God, you know, we can't possibly please everybody. And I think that that's, that's fair. Um, but I think, again, it's a mindset shift, I think yeah. it's a shift in how we think about accessibility and inclusion that we need to have first and then understand that it's actually not that big of a deal to yeah. shift that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. It's more like sort of just, in, you know, embracing the energy right. of what that means and then yeah. knowing that if I'm in the moment and yeah. I believe in inclusivity and engagement, then I'm going to respond from that place to the best of my ability with whatever is being presented to me by the person who's in front of me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Amy, can you tell us a bit more about where your services are offered and, and then also how people can access them? Cause I know that you're in a number of places and you have expansion ideas and things like that, but I'd like to just give people a sense of where you're at. Yeah. So at the moment we're serving Ontario, Canada, um, the province of Ontario, and we do have plans to expand across the country, um, potentially with the next area, British Columbia, and then Alberta, and then Manitoba, etc. as we kind of move our way through the country. We do pride ourselves on the relationships and the integrity of everything that we do. So it may be a very slow process of expansion um, because we like to take the time, make sure that we've got the right fit in every province that we're supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of, that's the hope over the next 10 years anyway, Beautiful. the next 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's very exciting. We're in the middle of creating another program as well called the Chloe's friend den program. Oh, cool. Um, and that was inspired and co-created with my own daughter who, when we moved to a new area, uh, despite her bubbly personality, had some challenges trying to transition into her new classroom. Um, and experience some bullying concerns. Mm -hmm. So we developed a program uh, that runs over 10 weeks, and it helps children nurture um, and and learn various coping strategies, um, anti-bullying, self-regulation strategies, and other areas of themselves um, through play. Beautiful. And those sessions look quite different every week, but those programs themselves, we hope to turn them into a not-for-profit organization on their own so that we can serve more children and youth and that it is more accessible. Wonderful. And I love your focus there too, and like, you know, with regard to the, the, the bullying um, mm. kind of energy there, that you're working with children to really build up a sense of their own self-esteem and self worth 
Whereas so often yeah. it's, you know, in other programs, it's about pointing out what the bully is doing or pointing out, you know, those kinds That's of things it. as opposed to sort of, yeah, being grounded in your own sense of personal power, which is so important. That's to it. Learn early on in life, right? Yeah. And I mean, we've opened up the programs to the actual children who were doing the bullying as yeah. well, because we definitely want them to be able to understand their own emotional regulation. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, we know that lots of kids that bully have other concerns happening, possibly. Um, and so we're there to nurture and again, that inclusion for all children and participants. So that's been very exciting as well. And that program will also spread out across um, the country as we start to roll that out. That's so exciting. I love yeah. it. I love that emphasis on all of, again, the inclusive, right? See, but that's, a, it's just beautiful example of how when you're committed to, that's, I've got close in the air, philosophy of, of inclusivity, the, and that you want to be um, in integrity with what you're developing yes. and what you're offering in the world, that yes. that guides it. So it cannot exclude any that's member right. of that scenario. And that's I right. think that's just a beautiful example. Yeah. Thank you. We love it. So how do yeah, I bet. It sounds like a lot of fun to have. It is developed. a lot of fun. It is a yeah. lot of fun. And it is literally our blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> well, maybe not oh, so much blood, sure. but <laughs> sweat and tears. Yeah, yeah. Sweat and tears for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Good combination. Yeah. Um, so how do people access your services? So at the moment, uh, and we forever hope to be, we're a direct service. So you can call us directly. You can uh, connect us connect to us and tell us about sort of, you know, where you're at, what you're looking for. Maybe you don't know what you're looking for. We can help navigate those services as well. Um, and you would just simply call us direct. Okay. Or, and of course, our website and our email address as well. So there's lots of ways to reach out. To connect. And all of that information is at recreationalrespite.com, right? Recrespite.com. Recrespite. Yep. Rec like rec the short form for recreation respite.com um or our one eight seven seven number okay. um one eight seven seven eight five five seven zero seven zero okay we'll say that again at the end too good yeah yeah beautiful so how many people you must have a lot of people working in your in your organization we have uh just hired our 38th therapist um wow now serving Ontario. Yep. And um, we are looking to do more work in some of the more rural areas of Ontario um, okay. in the near in the near future. That's kind of uh, some of the things that we're working on now. Because um, we sense there's a great deal of lack of resources there. And one of the other things is we're globally involved with a number of international partners. I do a great deal of keynote speaking around the world mm -hmm. um, as an expert in this field. And one of the things we talk about is ways to um, maximize support, but minimize the money that's required to make these kinds of programs happen. Right. So we work very closely with many not-for-profit organizations around the country um, to sometimes help just even develop the program uh, and then train staff to implement it. So that's definitely something we could do more of in other parts of the country outside mm -hmm. of Ontario. For example, if in BC there's a not-for-profit that's interested in having our expertise come and help them identify the needs, develop the program, and then train their staff to implement the program, that's definitely something that we do as well. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's all on our website too. 
Excellent. Hmm. So when you're, when you're hiring new therapists, new service providers, what kinds of things do you look for? Well, first of all, their educational background with regards to their skill set comes mm-hmm. from a long line of recreation therapy, social service workers, um, uh, children and youth workers, uh, behavior science therapists. Sometimes it's a great, most of the time, it's a combination of a couple of those expertise. And then we really want to make sure that every client that we have fits personality-wise as well with our experts. So that's critical because that relationship is everything to everything we do. And our team is incredible. They are truly unique people, Um, always utilizing their supports, but innovation. I mean, gosh, you have to be so innovative when working with our families because no one moment is the same as the next. (laughs) Yeah. No one size fits all kind of thing, right? right? So we want a diverse um, population in our, on our team as well, who have a number of expertise in children, youth, adults, seniors. Um, Yeah. And it ranges from mental health to autism, to brain injury, to post-traumatic stress disorder, um, to Alzheimer's. So it's, it's quite varied. That's beautiful. And then you're creating a team where your team members can also access each other as supports and resources as well. Yes. When they're yes. in different situations, eh? That's right. And often they'll work together. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have clients that we see a couple of times a week. One team member will work one day, the other will work the other. And the reason we do that is A, so that we don't have any burnout mm-hmm. um, and that we have consistency, number one stability to the client because we want the client to have the relationship with their team members and then those team members actually work together for both of the sessions so the client is actually not just getting that one team member's expertise they're getting two team members expertise that's wonderful so that's we really maximize as many as many options as we have some some families only have one team member that works with them that's okay too but they can certainly rely on the team for other ideas and approaches and direction and things like that. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I mean, just the more that you've got uh, Mm -hmm. different perspectives and different areas of expertise than the, like, you know, just the, the innovation potential Mm -hmm. is right through the roof then, doesn't it? It does. Yes. So I know Amy, that you also are, uh, you teach at the post-secondary level with entrepreneurs Mm-hmm. Because this was something, this was your baby that you built from the, the you created this rec res, yes. respite. And um, so you have a lot of expertise there. And so I'm just thinking about our listeners who have that entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm wondering if you could share some of your key, the key characteristics that make a successful entrepreneur or tips and things like that, that might be helpful for some of those listeners. Well, you know, as a social entrepreneur, I am all for the betterment of community and people. First of all, um, there are all kinds of different types of entrepreneurs. I teach a number of different platforms um, to my students so that they're aware of a variety of, you know, a diversity of, of entrepreneurship styles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my biggest, I, I don't know as it's much advice. I think entrepreneurs, they're a special kind of breed, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, we really are driven by the passion um based on, you know, the fire that's within us to make change. And I think whether that's from a service perspective or a product, um, we firmly believe that what we are creating is going to help make the world a better place. Um, 
and just, you know, keep believing that because I mean, 10 years in and, you know, and life in between then and now, um, Mm -hmm. has been an incredible journey. Um, I also share that entrepreneurship can be very isolating and I would encourage those entrepreneurs listening to ensure that they're connecting with others who are like-minded, who believe in their why. And that's a big one for me. Do what you do because of why you do it, not for the what or not for the how. Yes. Um, And if you continue to stay with that passion, you'll find your tribe. You'll find the right people that you should stay connected with and, and keep that support because we are a very different we are a different group of people, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. everybody wants to hear us talk about our businesses 24 hours a day. Yeah. Like we like to talk about them. <laughs> um, and our partners have to be extremely supportive too. And uh, God love mine because um, I don't know how he does it sometimes. <laughs> but that's the other thing, you know, surround yourself with, with like-minded, passionate people and diversity and diversity for sure. Yes, right, because we do need need that challenge to see things outside of the perspective totally. that we normally take. Totally. But I love that you've zeroed in there on that, you know, highlighted social entrepreneurs because I think that will connect with a lot of uh, listeners and, and that guidance to stay connected with the passion and that desire to contribute can really be so powerful for sure yeah, to keep I, on going. Yeah. And as a mentor, so I mentor for business, um, in here in the community, there's an organization that helps new businesses start. And, um, some of them include youth entrepreneurs, which I I just love working with, you know, 15 and 16 year olds who have these amazing ideas. Cause I just love to see that spark so young. Um, but as a mentor, I mentor as a, it's my volunteer time. Uh, I love watching them start at the beginning. You know, they're so scattered about so many ideas that they have yeah. and, they, and they think they can make all 20 of them happen at the same time, you know? And I remember feeling like that and still do sometimes. I think, yeah. oh, it's okay. I got a good handle on that. I can juggle 27 balls in the air with two kids and life and, um, you know, my PhD and teaching and mentoring but I think it's just the kind of people we are. And instead of fighting yeah. it, embrace it and just really yes. identify where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and be true to yourself about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when you stay true to that idea of, first of all, the contribution that you're making and what matters to you and your own sense of joy and fulfillment and fun in the process, mm-hmm. then that really does help, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like we said earlier, if we're having fun, then, you know, growing and learning and all of those kinds of things become a little bit easier because it's fun. Totally. You know, I I would also present any entrepreneurs listening to the show or entrepreneurs, those that are entrepreneurs that work for organizations. um, I would present to them, you know, write out what your concept of success and wealth is, something I do with my students. What does success actually mean to you and what does wealth mean to you? And and stay true to that. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, some people wealth means lots of money. But to me, wealth is good health, friends, family, um, and a full, exciting life. That's yeah. really wealth to me. So, yes. you know, stay true to what those those mean to you. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. That's such great guidance. Mm. And you've obviously, you're an amazing example of how that has guided you towards creating a life that makes you happy 
And that gives you a sense of contribution and joy in what you're doing in the world, Amy. And I think that's just amazing. Thank you. It's it's very true. My days are full. And they're, <laughs> and they're, and they're very full because I like them that way. <laughs> that's good. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Now, as we're, we're coming into these last couple of moments here, I do want to make sure that everyone knows how they can um, reach you. So uh, website is rec respite, R-E-C-R-E-S-P-I-T-E dot com. Yes. And the 1-800 or 1-877 number is 1-877-855-7070. That's right. And people can also find you on Facebook as well, can't they? Yeah, we're all over social media. So Facebook is Recreational Respite. That's our page. Um, we're on Instagram under Rec Respite. We're on Twitter under Rec Respite. <laughs> and I believe I have all of those handles. And um, when I post up the replay of our show, I'm going to include all of that contact information as well. So listeners can find that all at um, servingconsciously.com. And everything will be there for people to reach out to you, Amy. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been just a, a wonderful, amazing interview. I learned so much from you. And I'm sure that you've provided a lot of great information for our listeners as well. So thank you so much for being here. I hope so. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop. And we were graced with uh, the wisdom of Amy McFarland today of Rec Respite. And I want to thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Take care. You've been listening to Serving Consciously with your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Consciously create your approach to work. Visit www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Join us on every second and fourth Friday at noon to continue rediscovering your passion. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over 1 million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! Cheers!